window. I have, I'm out here in the greenhouse trimming tomato plants, just thinking and thinking and thinking about this podcast I wanted to do, and thinking about the, the research I have done about it, and I like feel pretty inadequate when it comes to really accurate dates and data about history so (laughs) funny example so yesterday I was watching some documentaries on the Dust Bowl thinking I'm gonna hone up on some of these details so I can share share accurate information and as I'm doing it my husband comes in the room and says some and I'm thinking I'm writing down notes right about the dust bowl and stuff because I want to share it share the right stuff and so I'm writing down 20s 30s and my husband like walks in and he goes yeah the dust bowl like in the in the 30s and I was like wait I thought I was in the 20s (laughs) and he looks at me like I'm not gonna correct you my dear but I know better because he is a history buff. And <laughs> I'm thinking, all right, I've got to look it up. Because I thought I heard them say it was in the 20s. Well, it's not pertinent to what I do to know the dates. So I easily file those in the I don't need to remember this folder somewhere that falls out of the back of my brain. Anyway, <laughs> but in watching those documentaries, which I knew a lot of the information, I just didn't know a lot of dates, but I learned a lot of stuff I didn't really know. Um, I was just like, really sad, really sad about the experiences those people went through. And, and I will try to figure out and put links in there for these documentaries I watched. They were, the two I watched yesterday were um, PBS documentaries on the Dust Bowl and it was just, I can't even comprehend it honestly because the people that actually stuck it out and the people who didn't stick it out but they had just as much hardship, they just didn't have a choice to not leave. They were, they were dying from dust pneumonia and they were and it was just so horrific I didn't even in the front of my brain realize that it took place during the same years as the depression the great depression of the past and those two things actually made it so much worse so um, the so I'm going to give you a little bit of background of it and what happened um, because it's pertinent to what we need to accomplish now in our agricultural systems and in what we need to be aware of and strive for okay So, before the Dust Bowl, 
farmers would farm ground that they had the ability to farm with their um, oxen, their horse, whatever, and they drug a plow, right? And they could tear up a certain amount of land doing that to plant. Well, at this time, as this was coming about, they're, they started just like trying to get, just pr basically giving away land, not really literally, but it was so cheap that people were just buying up by hundreds and hundreds of acres and miles of stretches, and it was like $5 an acre for land, which for them was could have been a week's wages, you know. Sometimes they would, it would, the wages like about a dollar a day kind of thing. So, um, they bought up as much land as they could. And they then had mechanized tractors came on the scene that would till up the land you know, so much faster, so much faster than the plow. And so they, and the price of wheat was going up and up and up. And um, they, the banks were loaning money like so easily. So it was a whole big speculation of buying land, tilling it up, selling the wheat, and it was like a land rush kind of thing, right? So people, they called them the suitcase farmers. I think that was what the term was. So they would, they were not farmers, but they would come in with their suitcases. I don't know how they did this, but they would come in, plant the wheat, then walk away and leave the land because this was all dry farming at this point in the game because in the plains of the U.S. there was lots and lots of rain and it was in the 20s, the roaring 20s, there was a glutton of great weather to dry farm and they took the beautiful plains that were um, amazing grasslands, buffalo grass, other things out there growing that used to feed the cattle, the buffalo, <laughs> very easily and they flourished with no problems and there was plenty for them to eat. Well, the people bought this land, tilled under the grasses, and planted wheat. And the wheat sold so well, and the prices were so high, people were like, wow, let's do more of this. So they bought more land, tilled up more land, and 
we're just getting, you know, I want more and more and more. Well, the prices start, started to drop because of the quantity of wheat being produced. And so they're like, well, we can just do more of it because that will make it so we don't lose. We'll just plant more and get more, sell more, and that will keep us still going here. So they did that. This was happening all across the Plain States and north and south. But come the in 1931, 32, the drought began coming in and the wheat was failing and because they didn't have an irrigation and it was hot and this was mostly in what they called not they didn't call it this at first it was the dust bowl which is northern panhandle of texas oklahoma that stretches out across texas colorado new mexico um, arizona i think was included in that and it was just this whole huge area that was hit the absolute hardest however it was also everybody else was also growing stuff across the plains in the midwest but these guys were hit with the drought and the heat in this area so severe and this drought lasted for eight years and year after year after year they stuck it out many of them some some didn't some just said that's it we can we have we can't survive here because what happened was they couldn't grow anything. The, as the grounds were so dry and they had tilled them up to the point they had nothing in there to hold the soil together, it just blew away as the winds and the heat came. And this was so many millions of square miles of this happening that it created the dust storms. Now these dust storms came not they weren't there all the time it was like it was be a beautiful day you know the sun was shining it was gorgeous outside whatever obviously no rain but sorry I'm tromping through some weeds um, <laughs> they had no rain but they had beautiful weather then all of a sudden as the winds would come through picking up that dust that they had created across this vast area, it would then take it and blow it across everybody's property. It didn't matter where. And it and it would come, the first year, I think they had 14 dust storms come through. And by the end of it, they were having over 100 dust storms because it just got worse and worse and worse. And they lost. Oh, so many feet of of top of, of dirt. It wasn't even soil. The dirt just kept blowing away and they'd lose six feet off their lands and more. And it would pile up in their houses and go inside their houses and every crack and nook and cranny and and 
it would it would completely like in in 1935 April 14th 1935 they um, forgot the name that they called that but it was like the black Sunday I think they called it where this dust storm that was worse than any other that was like uh, a mile and a half high and two to three Two, over 200 miles wide. Now, can you imagine that size of this rolling... They still guy described it as it looked like a tornado on its side rolling through. And it completely turned the sky black so that you couldn't even see in the sun at all. You couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. It was so black. And they would, you know, take shelter in their homes, but even in the homes, it was totally blacked out, and they turned their lights on, but the homes were covered in dust inside and out, and it was just horrific. Um, so these people didn't have, they couldn't grow food. They couldn't even grow it in their little, you know, so-called vegetable gardens, which they couldn't because it would be just be covered. Even if they got well, well water and tried to put it on it, it, the dust storms would come through and completely bury the garden and anything would be gone and blown away. So they couldn't grow food. Their cattle outside were, didn't have any vegetation to eat and so they would be dying off from that and then they started dying off from suffocation because they couldn't breathe because the dust would come through and fill their lungs with dust and people were coughing up mud all the time. They would, if you talk about masks, they tried to make masks for people and people wanted to wear them and they wore goggles and different things and, but people started dying from this dust pneumonia. Children, babies, families, they were dying from this. Anyway, so there you go. That happened. That was in 1930s along with the with the depression so that people even that weren't farmers went out of business in those areas because they the farmers couldn't buy anything from them so here i am sitting out in my yard watching over on the hillside three deer walking along eating as they go and i just want to appreciate that for a moment that they can do that out here in survive where the sagebrush doesn't let that hill wash away so what they tried to do to try to fix it um, was one gentleman that they hired to teach the people he was a soil biologist and he taught them how to till the land in a fashion that would create um, berms that would collect the water as it, as it did come to rain. Because um, they had some rain, just not enough. And there was nothing to hold the moisture in the ground. It would just either wouldn't absorb or just wouldn't even stay there. So it just, it was a bad situation all around. So he taught them to till the land so that it would carry berms and the berms would create little, you know, pockets where the water could kind of sit and stay and so then they could start they had some success doing that if they tilled the ground in the right 
orientation to the slope. So that that helped a little bit, but the government then stepped in and helped with lots of programs that actually saved their lives because they could get um, help from the government, from Roosevelt, who started his programs and saved them. Some people loved it, some people hated it, but these people who had absolutely nothing and couldn't even grow their own food and had no money, um, they survived because of those programs. But then the government was like, well, we still have too much wheat and stuff growing and because not everywhere in the country was experiencing this, although these dust storms were reaching to the entire country across the to the East Coast. California was not affected by it and they were doing well and so many people from this area moved to California um, when they could no longer survive there and they moved to California and, and realized that that was a beautiful area that wasn't being affected by this drought etc. So anyway they the government started paying farmers to not grow the wheat and subsidizing that program to try to bring the prices for wheat, stabilize them so that farmers could actually make some money on their wheat instead of get less than it costs them to grow. So that began government involvement in agriculture. They also came in and when the, they, the farmers, the cattlemen couldn't graze their cattle anymore they uh, they couldn't even there was no hay there was no nothing growing for them the government came in and they would um, buy a, a cattle a head of cattle for five dollars and if it looked like a scroungy one they'd pay him one dollar and then just shoot it and and just <laughs> they they dug big long trenches drove the cattle into it and then 20 people would stand up on the side and shoot them to get rid of these cattle and pay the farmer a pittance of something to um, not have the cattle and so this this whole scenario I'm just waiting on my mind today as I'm out here in my garden so that's kind of the history of it as mechanized machines came into play. They could till and till and till, but nobody at that time was actually looking at and understanding exactly what was going on in the soil. They knew that if you had a plant in the dirt, it would hold the dirt in place. They knew that. And so they were trying to get people to not leave any of their farms unplanted. Um, they even wanted to make it a law that you couldn't leave your land unplanted because that would pick up the dirt and dump it on somebody else's um, farm. And so they understood that principle. Um, but yet they would still, they were still tilling and, they, and that just made it so that they could produce a lot more food, right? Well, in what they have come to understand now, not everybody understands it, but some do, that it's 
way more about just keeping the dirt in place. Just having the dirt and being able to put water on the dirt and put a seed in there and have it grow into something. They would do that. Then they would add all sorts of inorganic fertilizers that they had produced. They understood that if you put nitrogen, potassium, and calcium, and phosphorus, I'm like, I'm trying to think, NPK, let me think of it in the front of my brain. <laughs> they put those things on the plants, the plants would get big, they produced good fruit, they looked green, and and everything was hunky-dory and you could sell that. So along comes some scientists. Now, there may be others, but the, the one scientist that I have studied under and know best about is Dr. Elaine Ingham. She was studying at the University of Colorado, I believe. I know it was in Colorado. Um, and she was in microbiology. And she went to her professor when she was an undergraduate and told him that she wanted to study the microbiology of the soil. And he told her, why would you want to do that? There's nothing going on there. And she's like, but I want to think there might be so she was discouraged from doing it yet she persisted and she began to understand the symbiotic relationship all the microbes and growth under the ground that's taking place now not only does does the soil need to be living and alive and have um, vegetation growing in it to be healthy but um, it is critical to have that going on to get the nutrition the nutrients from the parent dirt material out of that parent dirt material into a form the plant can take up and put into the plants now this is something that big ag basically ignores because even organic farmers in big ag the majority of them are not paying attention to this so they they are concerned about making money they're not concerned about the nutrition in the food that they're growing so this is where I've come to say we've got to change things um, and it can be done I've, I know that people have heard that we've lost the topsoil or the nutrients aren't in the dirt anymore. And that topsoil takes, I don't even know what the quotes are, I hear different quotes, a hundred years to build back topsoil or 10 years or whatever. Um, that is not true. It can be done very quickly, like within a year. And secondly, the whole idea that the nutrients are not in the dirt is actually not true either because every mineral 
that we need to have in every every vitamin, mineral, nutritional aspect that a plant needs to grow is actually in the parent material. But the biology, the bacteria, the fungi actually produce enzymes to break down those parent materials access that into a form the plant can take up and deliver it to the plant. So we have to get back to understanding how that process works and how we can make that happen on a small scale and a large scale because when that happens, you have a synergistic relationship between the plant. I'll go into a lot more detail about other times where it is talking to the fungi and bacteria through chemical means of putting off exudates into the soil that then will tell the fungi bacteria, I need some vitamin C, I need some calcium, phosphorus, potassium, whatever. And because it's not been dumped on the ground in a plant, the way the plant can handle that it goes and mines it now in our big ag people will go test their soils all the time i always hear about soil tests right soil test soil test soil test what that test is telling you is what of those nutrients that they test for are in that soil in a readily available form for the plant to take up so a farmer goes out and he'll test his soil oh i'm really lacking in nitrogen or iron or whatever and he goes and gets this big bag of that, that nutrient and he, for a lot of money, he goes and spreads that across his fields. Now this is in a form that is water soluble or plant, and, and the plant can easily take it up. But when it, they rain, when it rains or when they irrigate, because it, wash, it can wash away very easily, it does wash away and goes in our streams um, and into the ocean and there's a whole area at the in the gulf of mexico that's a dead zone because the nitrogen that has gone into that water makes the oxygen in that water unavailable for the fish and they cannot survive in that area so it is a dead zone because of the runoff and this it has ruined waterways it has ruined lakes it has ruined the, this agricultural practice has ruined that. And the tillage that happens also takes the stored carbon that was in the ground and it throws it back into the air. And so we have the whole CO2 pollution of the air that is attributed to global warming with the changing of our agricultural systems where we don't till and we keep plants in the ground and don't kill off the organisms that are holding that CO2 in the ground, we can change global warming for whatever belief you have about that, it, it sequesters the carbon into the ground. 
So the more we plant in that fashion, the more the more that our plants love that CO2 and pull it into the ground and the plants store it and the microorganisms store it. That's a, just a brief history of that that I can go to in more detail later and how we change that and make that happen. But with the current practices, the way they are, with overgrazing, without letting the grasses grow back, with the constant tillage, the dust bowl could happen again in a heartbeat. And in that um, breadbasket area of the nation, there is a humongous aquifer that then they started drilling into so they could have water and not have to have the drought be affecting their, their production. Yet they have drained it down to the point there. They say there's, um, and I don't know when this quote was, but at that time I was watching this show they said there's 20 years of that water left in that aquifer uh, for those farmers and then it will be gone but their practices haven't changed they're not looking to the future to how to solve this and we have got to to learn that you need way less water when you can keep the water in the ground through no tillage so there's my history on some aspects of a big ag that is is functioning now we can create the dust bowl again we don't have the nutrients in the food that we can achieve if we grow it in a fashion that puts the biology back in the soil and doesn't destroy it so that's the focus that I have on my way of gardening and what I'm learning and how to help it happen for big and small farmers, including you in your backyard. Have a great day and eat something healthy.